Well, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 6 this morning. My name is Kevin Bear. I'm the youth pastor here at Grace Bible Church, and uh, happy new year. Hope you had a great holidays and are ready to charge in. So I'm going to read a couple passages from, uh, from, from Daniel chapter 6 for us, and then we will launch in. And I'll be skipping a little bit, so just be ready. Daniel chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three presidents of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps would give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a, find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Verse 13. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles of Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was very much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till sun, the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king established can be changed. Then the king commanded that Daniel was brought and cast into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of the Lord's, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. We pray for us one more time. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for um, the impossible circumstances you put people in where you displayed your greater glory. And Lord, I know that many of us, uh, we, we may be facing some really challenging circumstances this year. And so Lord, I pray that these words and the, the study of this story, this account in the life of Daniel would uh, encourage and strengthen us. And so I'd ask that you would pray for yourself, that your heart would be open um, to hear what God would want to speak specifically to you this morning. And if you'd be willing to ask you pray for me, that my words would make sense and be clear. Oh, Father, we love you. We trust you. Use this time. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Happy New Year. It's 2014. Do you think you make it this far? Well, uh, every new year, I don't know if you've done this yet, but uh, you should establish resolutions, right? Uh, that's what everyone tells you to do. And uh, I didn't know what resolutions to set this year. And so I went to the only place to find good resolutions, the internet, right? And so I read one article about resolutions and these are from a doctor. And he says, uh, th this is interesting to me. He says, I want to focus on healthcare. So these are doctor recommendations for resolutions for healthcare. Number one. Find a doctor or specialist who truly cares about you. Number two, when you have the right doctor, see your doctor at least once a year. Three, take your medications. 
Three, get all your immunizations. Four, know your health vital information. Number five, keep your medical record at hand, up to date. Number six, right? Keep two emergency cards listing all the medicines, doctors, illnesses, allergies you have. Seven, have health insurance. Number eight, do your screenings for illnesses. Number nine, keep a diary to record you're getting exercise each day. Now, I read that and I thought to myself, that is the worst list of resolutions I could commit to this year. Now, I'm not trying to belittle... um, health, right? I I think if if you have health issues, you should take care of them, and there are great doctors in and around that you should pursue and and, and take care of you. But if the culmination of my year is making sure I have a doctor and take my meds, if that's all I accomplish this next year, and I can say it's been a good year, then I'm like, I have sorely missed something, right? I, I want to chase something else. I want something bigger in front of me. I love the movie The Incredibles, um, if you've seen it. Uh, it's, it's the story basically of a family and it starts with a man, a husband, uh, who was an insurance agent and he's sitting in his office cubicle. He's a gigantic man and it comes at the very beginning of the movie. He loses his job and then he drives his car home, gets out of his little car, closes the door and he's frustrated. He's angry. He doesn't, he doesn't know what he's going to do. He doesn't know if he's going to tell his family. He's just so mad and this little kid in a big wheel rides up beside him. Blows a big fat bubble, pops all over his face. It's awesome. And the kid, he looks to the kid and says, what are you waiting for? And the kid looks at him like big doe eyes. I don't know. Something amazing, I guess. And in this sad little response, he looks at the kid and says, me too. Me too. And that little statement, that little interaction at the beginning of the story sets a trajectory for the entire movie. A a trajectory that looks to be resolved because something within him wanted to live for something better. See, he was Mr. Incredible. He did do great things. He did save people. He was rescuing people. He was living a life on the cutting edge. But through political circumstances, through different um, issues that, that arose, he, he lost the position, he lost his ability, and he was left living a life of mediocrity. Thoreau, in the book Walden, says this, the vast majority of men live lives of quiet desperation. See, I think that within a heart of every one of us, We desire to live for something bigger than ourselves, to live for something better than ourselves, to live for something amazing, and it's seen in the products you buy, right? Like, you get the newest iPhone. Why? Because you want to be on the cutting edge of something. You go to the movies, you watch the adventures, and it's the same storyline every time. The world is under attack by an evil villain and a couple heroes. Save it. It's the same storyline. I will tell you the ending. I'll ruin every movie from here to eternity. Why? Why do we go and watch that over and over and over again? Because we want to be caught in something incredible. Something amazing. We want to live for something bigger than ourselves. Something better than what we are living for. I remember when I was in college, I was sitting uh, a job I really disliked. I was answering phones and sending out letters to people to pay the court fee if they wanted to renew their driver's license. And as I'm sitting there day in and day out telling people, call the court, 
call the court. I had this moment of epiphany. I said, this is terrible. Shoot me in the head. If I have to spend the rest of my days doing this, I'm going to go insane. I realize I want to live for something bigger. And it's true in you. You want to live for something bigger than whatever it is you're chasing. And I want that for you. And in order to live a life on the cutting edge of faith, on the cutting edge of life, what it means is we've got to look at someone that has actually lived it before us. And we're looking at the story in the life of Daniel. One of the most epic stories ever told. One of the most epic events ever lived. A man who lived truly on the cutting edge of faith. And that's what I want for you. But in order to live this type of life, it means you've got to walk the steps that this man walked. And so what does it mean to live a life on the cutting edge of faith? Well, first it means this. A little bit of monotony and a lot of faithfulness. <laughs> Hit the brakes, right? What, what do you mean, Kevin? Monotony. Well, the story starts out talking about a governmental structure, right? Darius was king, and he had just defeated the nation of Babylon, right? And he was, the, he was leader of the nation of Persia. And in order to establish authority, he set up rulers. There was satraps, and there were presidents over the satraps, and the king over all of them. And the story begins with a, with a, a history lesson in government, when I was sharing this with the youth, they were like, I was like, and a bill becomes a law. Let's sing a song, right? Like, why, if I want to live a life on the cuttings of faith, do you talk about governmental structures? And I will tell you this, what God is showing us is this. You begin a life on the cutting edge of faith by dealing with a little bit of normal, a little bit of average. You got to deal with this reality. You need a job. Every person that was used greatly by God had a job. Listen, young people. (laughs) Abraham, shepherd. Moses, shepherd for 40 years in the wilderness before he ever did anything fun, right? David, shepherd, soldier. Nehemiah, cupbearer to the king. Daniel, government official. Paul, tent maker. Jesus, Jesus. 30 years, probably as a carpenter before he ever did anything fun for three what, it, what he is saying to us is that every person used greatly by God began by getting a job and doing it faithfully. See, what is God doing in this period of normal, this period of monotony, this period where you've got to answer the phones, you've got to take the calls, you've got to change the diapers? What happens in that time of monotony? God's carving something into you. He's carving into your heart character. And there's no way in which to carve character into someone's heart other than time. Time proving faithfulness. And what it said of Daniel is is that he worked in verse 3 and he became distinguished in his work. And what was said of him in verse 4 is that he was found faithful. Read with me in verse 4. It says specifically, Then the presidents and satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to his kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. You see, he worked for a boss who was a tyrant. In fact, the reason that Daniel is going to go to the lion's den later on is because his officials below him have him sign a law stating 
that if anyone worships any God other than him, the king, then they're going to go to the lion's den. Now, you may have a bad boss, right? But unless your boss is sent around a memo telling everyone they must worship him or get fired, then your boss isn't as bad as his, right? And what did Daniel do in this place where he's led by a tyrant? He says he was faithful. He did the work excellently. He did it better than everyone else. And so unless your boss is asking you to do something illegal, immoral, or against a direct command of the God, we are called to be faithful in the small things. We are called to do our work with excellence. And that is exactly what Daniel did. Everything that was given to him, it was seen to flourish. Everything that was in his control, in his hands, he did the work excellently. Why? How? Well, Paul tells us this. You do your work as unto the Lord, not to him, but to him. Peter says it this way. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. See, God has ordained this period of time where you work faithfully, where you work with excellence to prove yourself faithful and there's no substitute for time. Are you faithful with the small things God has put in your charge? And secondly, Daniel was faithful in another area. He was faithful with the God things. You see, this injunction is gonna come against him and his response is gonna be amazing. In verse 10, it shows it. He says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed and he, he went to his house where he had windows in the upper chamber open toward Jerusalem, he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. You see, Daniel was one that was devoted in his work and devoted to his God. He was faithful in every area of his life. And when crisis hit his life, what was his response? to do what he always did, to seek the Lord on his face. Are you faithful in the small things? And are you faithful with your devotion and relationship with God? You see, during this this time of monotony, this time of normal, God is carving this into you and there's no substitute for time. Um, There's a book by Malcolm Gladwell called Outliers. And in this book, Malcolm Gladwell looks at success stories, people that are outliers in every type of industry. And so he looks at musicians, whether they're violinists. He looks at athletes, whether they're um, hockey or soccer. And he looks at even people in the professional world like Steve Jobs. You know what he found? Every person requires at least 10,000 hours of focused work to become a master at anything. It doesn't matter your field. I was watching, um, my wife and I have been watching uh, Penn and Teller's Fool Us uh, over this Christmas break. And Penn and Teller are two magicians, um, phenomenal mu- uh, magicians. Did I say that right? Magicians. And uh, they're phenomenal. And what the, sh- the premise of the show is that magicians come onto the show and attempt to fool Penn and Teller. And there's one guy that had come on before and he came on again. And they were a little nervous about him because this guy's hands, this work sleight of hands that this guy had were, was impressive. And he did the little trick and Penn and Teller said, I I just want everyone to know that if you ever want to be a magician, you need to study what this guy is doing. He's doing the classic effects, but he has trained his hands and these guys are standing in awe because he had trained his hands and they said, not over weeks, not over years. You don't get that good unless you do it over decades. 
You see, when God is trying to prepare his kids, there is no substitute for time. And you prove yourself faithful in the small things. And you prove yourself faithful in the God things. See, Jesus says it this way. How do we receive reward? He said to him, well done, good slave. Because you were faithful in the very little things, you are to be in authority over 10 cities. Reward comes through faithfulness. And Paul says it this way. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into his service. Paul was found faithful by God. And I tell you what, the reason you're living a monotonous time in life is so that God will carve faithfulness into you. But just because God is carving this into you, it doesn't mean that life is gonna be easy. You see, living a life on the cutting edge of faith first brings monotony but it also brings opposition. And just because you're living a life that's faithful to God doesn't mean that you're immune for the difficulties that will come. In fact, for Daniel, it was because of his faithfulness that he received this opposition. And so their plan, they got together a plan that would, the only way they found that they could actually get an angle on Daniel was if they could attack his worship of God because there was no fault in him. And so what happens in verse five is that these men, they said, we'll not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection to the law of God. And so they set out to make a plan. And what they did is they made a law that the king signed to say, you can only worship one God, not any other God other than you, Darius. And if anyone does, he's off to the lion's den. And, and we look at that scenario and we go, come on, God. It doesn't make sense. Like he was faithful. Why would you do this in his life? See, God will put into every one of our lives opposition, challenges. Jesus says it this way. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. Second Timothy 3.12 says it this way. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In 1 Peter 4, it says it this way. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes to you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. Don't be surprised when the challenges come. Don't be surprised when the fire gets hot. Don't be surprised when people stand in your company and say, if you're gonna follow God and you're gonna do those things, I'm going to oppose you. I'm gonna stop you. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We should expect it. But why does God do it? Like, I don't get it. Why does God do it? Here's a little insight. He wants to make your life exciting. You see, Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. Meaning, a full experience of life. Joy and sorrow. Did Jesus live the fullest life? Yes. Good answer. Was his life carried, characterized by opposition? You bet. John Acuff in a book, which I love the title of, says that this, uh, the title of the book is this, Punch Fear in the Face, Escape Average, Do Work That Matters, Start. And he says it this way, I love it. Stories without dragons are boring. You don't get to happily ever after unless at some point it was all in doubt, unless the whole adventure was in, cre- in question. 
Success was anyone's guess. Survival was up for grabs. A hero without a villain isn't a hero. Superman without Lex Luthor would have just been man, and that would have been a really dull movie. But rest assured, this story has a villain too. This story has a dragon, and he's talking about your story. He's talking about you. God is going to make you suffer opposition to really prove, refine your faith. It's not until you're in the moment of trial that we see what's really there. A football quarterback who's phenomenal on the practice field but never proves himself in the game doesn't really have the tools. God is gonna put you in the midst of opposition to show what's really there in your heart. Will you be faithful in the tough circumstance? He's gonna put you there. And you know why he also does this? It's because it's only when things get really tough that life really gets exciting. This story at this point isn't that exciting. He's going to the lion's den, maybe, but but it's only when he gets there that it really gets tough. See, what happens is they go through with this plan. The king signs the injunction. In verse 14, when the king heard these words, he was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel and he labored till sundown to rescue him because the king knew the value of Daniel and he knew that he made a mistake, but it was too late. These men came by to the king, verse 15. Know, O king, that you can't go back on a law signed by the Medes and Persians. Verse 16, the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the lion's den. And the king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid across. And in verse 19, when day broke, the king ran in haste to see what happened. You know when the story gets exciting? You know when living a life on the cutting edge of faith gets exciting? When God leads you all the way to the cutting edge. If you want to live a life on the cutting edge of faith, it means you prove yourself faithful in the monotony. You prove yourself faithful in the opposition. And you prove yourself faithful in the midst of the cutting edge. See, when does the story get exciting? When he's put in the lion's den, when the stone is covered, when he's set there for a night and no one knows what's going to happen, it's in that moment when it actually is exciting, when you don't know what's going to happen, when he's on the cutting edge of those lion's teeth. And that's exactly what God's going to do with you. You want to live a life on the cutting edge of faith? He's going to put you on the cutting edge. Why? Because God wants to show you one thing at this time. There's only one hero to the story. I love Tony Evans. He says it this way. You're a bunch of previews for the coming attraction, right? That's my best Tony Evans impersonation. (laughs) And he says this, what are previews designed to do? They're designed to spotlight what's coming, the real film, what's really going on, the true hero. See, we're all characters in a larger story. We are not the heroes. There's only one hero. And God puts us in impossible circumstances so that there's only one explanation for the salvation, God alone. What happens? The king runs to him, says, are you all right? In verse 22, he says, my God sent an angel and shut the mouths of the lions forever, shut the mouths of the lions, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. In verse 25, then King Darius wrote to all the peoples and nations 
and languages that dwelt in the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I will make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, for he is a living God, enduring forever. Growing up, I loved the TV series, Batman. And I loved it uh, because the, they say, bam, pow, it's hilarious, right? Made in the 60s and it's absurd. And so I loved it growing up as a small kid. But every now and then, as the storyline of Batman progressed, uh, there would be a, a crazy moment in which Robin would try to save the world himself, right? And every time he did that, this is what happened. <laughs> he would get tied up. Why was Robin unable to save the world? Because the name of the TV show is Batman, right? You're not the hero, bud. And so no matter how hard you work, no matter how hard you try to beat Catwoman or Penguin, whoever it is, you're not going to win because the name of the show is Batman. He's the hero. You're supporting cast, buddy. You are not going to win. And God will put you in impossible circumstances for one reason, to show the entire world that there's only one God. And the greater the challenge, the greater the glory. I love these stories. I mean, I love listening to Ben Stewart talk about Breakaway. When he first got to Breakaway Ministries, he got to Breakaway Ministries and the income was epically low. And the bills needed to rent the facilities doubled. And in that moment, he said, great, I just signed up for the captain of the Titanic. Wonderful. I've got nothing. And he got down on his face with his leaders and staff and prayed and sought the Lord. And the next month, they got more giving than in any month previously. See, God put him on the cutting edge to prove something. There's only one person who can save I've seen this happen at Grace. I mean, there's some months that, that the money isn't coming in. It hasn't happened recently. Thank God, you guys have been very generous. But I remember periods when I first got here where, where money was low and so p- spending was cut and, and we, we had to move gingerly through periods. And we prayed. And God blessed. I love the story of John Wesley. He was a missionary to um, Atlanta, Georgia. It went terribly He got on a boat and they're coming across back to London. He's coming home and the waves go crazy. The the, the boat is, is flying everywhere. Everyone's crying, freaking out, scared about what's going on. And then he sees a group of Moravians, Christians. And they're there praying in complete calm. And he looks over to them. He runs over. He's like, he's like, how are you calm in the midst of this crazy? Like this doesn't make sense. And the man said, our people are not afraid to die. They trust in God who can hold them, even in the impossible circumstances. I love the story of uh, George Mueller. George Mueller was a German missionary. He came to London. And at that time, he was actually coming over to be a missionary to the Jews living in London. And as he got there, he landed there and he realized there's was, there was a lot of people he wanted to reach with the gospel. There's a lot of pain around there. And so he wrote back to the agency sending him, said, hey, I'm going to continue to share the gospel with the Jewish people, but can I also share the gospel with some of the other people living there? And they said, no, we paid you to serve the Jewish people. That's who we want you to serve. And he said, okay, but I, I'm going to share the gospel with them too. And they're like, sorry. And so they let him go. 
Luckily, a church picked him up, helped him financially a little bit, but then he became convicted that I, I, I'm, not, I'm no longer going to take an income from this church. I'm going to pray and let God provide. Doing this same thing, he established over five orphanages in London. Never asking for a dime, just praying that God would move. Many of those orphanages are still funded the same way. You can go read his diaries right now and you see literally thousands of prayers answered. Sometimes immediately within the next hour, there's one story in his biography where, where it talks about a, a family who is, or no, an orphanage he's at. They all come down. There's no food. They're saying, let's give grace. They pray for God to give them some food. A truck breaks down outside. They bring the food in and everyone eats. Like this man lived on the cutting edge of faith. Why? Because he trusted in his God that can provide. He trusted in his God that could save. And so why do we have this story in our Bible? Because God's calling us to do the same thing. Because there's only one God who can save. And he's going to put you in the moment of crisis to prove to everyone looking at you there's only one who can save. The king goes on to say, he Verse 27, delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. And who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions? There's only one savior. But you know the great news? The story doesn't stop there. The story continues to a man named Jesus, the lion of Judah. He came to this earth and lived in perfect obedience to God. We are separate from God. We are in a bad spot because of our sin. We are in the lion's den, expecting judgment because of our sin. And Jesus, the lion of Judah, steps in, lives the life we could not live, dies the death we deserve to die, and purchases for us new life through his resurrection. He is the one who saves, and there's only one. So what applications do I want to leave us with? First one is this. Where are you neglecting your faithfulness? See, God has given you time, talents, and things in which to steward for his purposes. Are you being faithful with the small things? Are you being faithful with your devotion to God? Secondly, are you living a life worth opposing? I'll describe it this way. Is there enough evidence to convict you in a court of law for being a Christian? I love Jim Elliott. He, he says it this way. Father, make me a crisis man. Bring those I contact to decision. Let me not be a milepost on a single road. Make me a fork that men must turn one way or another on facing Christ in me. Are you living a life worth opposing? And lastly this. Are you running from the edge that God has led you to? Is there something right in front of you and you know God has called you to that edge, but you've looked at the opposition, you've looked at the challenges, and you're like, I, I want to bail. You see, it's often when the temperature is turned up the highest that we often turn and walk away. Paul says of Demas, having loved this present world, he turned away. Many of my friends in college, they, they, they had 
come out of high school as Christians and, and as they got into the college world and these social pressures and these issues, it just became not so cool anymore. I had friends that went into the business world passionate about Lord, the Lord in college, but as soon as they entered into that business world, the challenges, the pressures, the opposition, the edge that they faced said, I don't know if I want to continue to do this. So how do we continue to walk in faithfulness even when it's tough? And George Mueller's biography actually gives some helpful advice. I want to close with this. He says this, my faith, he said, is the same faith which is found in every believer. Try it for yourself and you will see the help of God if you trust in him. But what, we, but what can we do to have our faith strengthened? People would ask him. First, he would reply, read the Bible carefully and thoughtfully. Then you will learn more and more about the character of God, how kind, loving, merciful, and faithful he is. Then when the difficulties come, you'll be able to rest on God's ability and willingness to help you. Two, try to keep your conscience clear. Do not make a habit of doing things that are displeasing to God. Otherwise, when your faith is tested, you will have no confidence in God because of your guilty conscience. Number three, don't try to avoid situations where your faith is being tested. Naturally, we don't like trusting God, but it is when we do that we find our strength strengthened. And he closes with this. There is life and power and reality in our holy faith. If you have never known this, then come, taste it for yourself. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for the lives of men and women who have gone before us. People that have lived on the cutting edge of faith and honestly lives that, that challenge us and inspire us and scare us. And so Lord, I pray that as we enter into a new year, we would have new resolutions, but resolutions that are more in tune with your will in the world. That we would see our situations as carving into us character and faithfulness. That we would respond well in the midst of opposition. And we wouldn't run from the edges you place us when you're really trying to display your greater glory. So Father, we love you. I ask that you protect these people. That you encourage us and help us to walk faithfully with you this year. So you know me pray. Amen. Y'all have a great morning.